thought I'd share some of my favorite kid quotes from you guys. This one's from Matt. C.D. Nels, he says, my daughter was given a Butterfinger. A short while later, she handed us a crispy insides with the chocolate eaten off and said, here's the bones. Oh. <laughs> that's cute. Come on. That's cute. So that's one's from at Wallabuki. Oh, Wallabuki. I love that. She says, a second grader in my class ran up to me one morning and said, guess what? I was born on my birthday. This one's from at Coach J.D. Jones. Mm. He says, my son got shots, and when he got back into the waiting room, he looked at all the other kids and said, they hurt you in there. <laughs> Well, welcome to part two of our series, When You're Lost. Kids say and kids do some crazy things sometimes. Isn't that true? Um, I know while raising kids, one of the things that I notice happens a lot in parenting is, are, are the I told you so moments. The I told you so moments. You know what I'm talking about too. Because if we all think back to our childhood, we made many decisions that our parents then, or our guardian, or friends had to step in. They didn't have to, but they did. And they looked at us and they said, I told you so. Or isn't it true? We didn't sometimes tell them what we were doing because we knew if they found out what we were doing and the fact that then it didn't work out how we thought it would work out. In fact, it worked out worse than we thought. And now we're paying some consequences for it. They'd look at us and they'd say, I told you so. We didn't even want to tell them. Or the worst thing was they didn't even say anything at all. They just gave us the I told you so look. You know what I'm talking about, that look? Like it, you, you, to do it right, you, you kind of have to, at least in my version of it, you have to kind of tilt your head 10 to 20 degrees and then you have to purse your lips and kind of do some funny things with your eyebrows. It's kind of... Like that, you know what I'm talking about? In fact, why don't we all just right now in front of our computer screens and TV screens, why don't we just look at the screen and give ourselves the best, or give, up, give me your best I told you so look. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Okay, I think some people in the back of the production team are doing, I can't really tell they're masked and it's really dark back there, but I trust that you gave me your best I told you so look. Now, Stephanie and I, um, we don't, uh, obviously, allow our three-year-old, our eldest daughter, to push or hurt her one-year-old sister, okay? However, I will admit that it has been known to happen. And we have tried to, after uh, a time in which we think through our actions, uh, explain that one day, one of the reasons that you don't want to push is, obviously it's not kind, but one of the reasons you don't want to push is because one day your sister's going to grow up and they're, she's going to push you back. Now, I don't know why we try to explain that because I, I don't think it really sticks or it's not something that uh, they're actually going to listen to and understand. Um, but uh, not too long ago, um, uh, Everly, the one-year-old, got to the place where she was big enough, strong enough, and steady enough on her feet to actually push back. And I remember when it happened the first couple times, uh, our three-year-old just kind of experienced, you know, felt, got pushed and, and her eyes just kind of like lit up and she got upset and, and like looked at us and was like, did you just see what happened here? <laughs> you know, I just got pushed to which mom and dad, responsible parents that we are, just like looked at her with the, you know, I told you so, you know, that's what was going to happen. Now, to start this discussion and, and jump into this more, the question I want to ask you is, why do I told you so moments happen? 
Why do I told you so moments happen? Well, it's pretty obvious, and you kind of know this, but to just make the obvious point obvious, it's because someone else could see what you couldn't. Because someone else had more experience than you do in life, had been where you are, had made some of the same mistakes that you did, and could see ahead of you that the path you were going on, the direction you were heading, was going to bring you to a bad destination, a bad place. And they wanted to help you out because they cared about you, because they had lived it and they didn't want you to live it too. And so they gave you advice, right? Or, um, or maybe you were in the place of giving someone else advice, right? You tried to give them the advice, um, or, or honestly, in the worst situations, um, and you know these all too well, right? You wanted to tell them that the way they were headed was a bad direction. Was it going to be an I told you so kind of moment? But you knew they wouldn't listen. They knew, you knew they wouldn't listen. And, and you even knew that by telling them that the direction they were headed was not a great direction, that by doing that, it could ruin uh, or, or hurt your relationship with them. And so you didn't say anything. That's the unfortunate place that the I told you so moments put us in. And then the I told you so moments are even worse. They're compounded. The situations are even more challenging when they or we are in the seasons of life where we are lost in the desert. The loss in the desert or slash wilderness is seasons of life. The, the unexpected deserts that come into our lives, like a pandemic, for example, or an unexpected diagnosis, or, you know, you laid off, or your future plans were messed up for some reason, and therefore you feel frustrated, you feel confused, you feel thrown off a little bit, and ultimately you feel upset because now you're in a situation where you're a bit lost, where you're, the, you know, the rugs kind of felt like it got pulled out from under you. Or, or it wasn't unexpected because you made bad decisions. You made some decisions that you probably shouldn't have. Maybe you didn't know it at the time, but you do now. And you, you got yourself into the desert. And now you're lost because you're trying to navigate a relationship that's broken, that's crumbling. You're trying to navigate financial hardship. And, and um, now you're in the desert of your own making. And it's not fun. Because regardless of how you got in the desert, the desert has just a way of making you feel uncertain and unsure, and it's not a place you want to be. And then when you're in the desert, you may have, made, you may have gotten there unexpectedly, or you may have made, made bad decisions to get there, but now you're in the desert. What happens when things are stressful? Yeah, maybe some anxiety about being lost. The problem is then we tend to make even worse decisions or decisions that prolong our time in the desert because we avoid advice from others, okay? They're trying to give us advice, trying to say, you know, I'm giving you this advice and this is kind of an I told you so moment. If you don't follow my advice, you're not gonna get yourself out of the desert, but we avoid it because we try to take the matters into our own hands. And then we tend to grab onto things that probably we shouldn't have to make ourselves feel better. You know, we try to grab onto anything, something, someone, any uh, that's familiar to us to give us, you know, a sense of stability and direction and purpose in the desert, um, give us the ability to wash away or to subdue that lost feeling because none of us want to feel lost. And so we try to, you know, get involved in maybe some things we shouldn't just to make that bad feeling go away, even if it's unhealthy or perpetuates or is our, our time in the desert or is just honestly simple. 
And sometimes people can live lost in the desert for a really long time. And the reason I bring all this up is because the nation of Israel that we talked about last week, they made some of the same choices. God brought them in the desert, but to get them to a promised land, to get them to a better place. And when they were in the desert, instead of making wise decisions, instead of trusting God, the nation of Israel, instead of trusting the God who helped them to escape Israel and bring them into it, become a new nation, gave them new laws and, and gave them a promised land filling, flowing with milk and honey, instead of trusting that God like we talked about last week, they took matters into their own hands and it led them even deeper in, into a longer stay in the desert that they wanted to get out of. And so I hope that we can, you and I, can learn from the lessons that they learned. And instead of when we enter in the deserts of life, instead of traveling in wrong directions, instead of listening, not listening and avoiding the advice that we know we should hear to get ourselves out of the desert, thus leading to more I told you so moments, that we choose a wise direction because of the lessons we learned from the nation of Israel. And so now I want to tell you their story a little bit um, back in the book of Numbers, which is the book we started in last week. We're back in the book of Numbers, uh, a little moment in time in which the nation of Israel was making those poor decisions, was prolonging their time in the desert all while they should have been doing something else, okay? And, but it's hard. Listen, it is hard, and I don't know the desert moments of life that you have been going through, but it is hard when we are in the desert to trust God, it is a lot easier in the desert to say, God, where are you? God, did you abandon us in the wilderness of life when we needed you most? In this uncomfortable, painful place, God, where are you? Which is a good question. But for the nation of Israel, my friends, God was right there. In fact, God was working for they're good. And I think in many cases, he's working for our good too. When we feel in the desert, when we feel in a place of unknown, when we are trying to figure out what's next, I think he's working for our good. And I think we can learn from this situation that the Israelites were in some really helpful principles about that. So here's what happened um, uh, in, uh, uh, in the situation in the Israelites were in. Um, they, they were in uh, the land of uh, Shittim, okay, which is kind of near in, in modern-day Jordan across from uh, the Jordan River, not yet in modern-day Israel, but in the, the, uh, in the area of Jordan. And, and here's um, what, what happens. While they were staying in Shittim, the men uh, began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women who invited them to sacrifice to their gods. And the people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods, which were huge no-nos, huge no-nos, because we just learned in the Ten Commandments that you weren't supposed to do these things, that the Ten Commandments that God just gave the nation, you're not supposed to have other gods. You're, you're supposed to stay holy and pure and not involve yourself in these, you know, sinful acts, essentially. And now the author of Numbers doesn't tell us, um, uh, doesn't tell us why this happened, uh, but um, in my opinion, just, just my opinion, is why they indulged themselves is because they told themselves they deserved the good life. Because they had been slaves, they traveled through the desert, you know, grass is greener on the other side, and so we want, 
what we can't have. And so the men told themselves that they were in control of their lives and they could stop. You know, yeah, it probably wasn't good what they were doing, but they could stop themselves. They were in control. And the women were like, you know, I can fix the men. And maybe you're familiar with that whole situation, but it never works out very well at all. You know, the voice of reason says, don't do it. But they were like, let's do it because it's fun. And, and, you know, we deserve it. And they're heading down the, the I told you so moment path. Instead, they could have just trusted God, but, but they didn't. They didn't trust God. And so things weren't going well in Israel. And this was, I guess, the moment in which God could have walked away, but God didn't. While this was all happening, um, the king of the Moabite people, okay, the people that the Israelites are indulging with, the king of the Moabite people um, were seeing the nation of Israel, and he saw them. He saw how big they were, how strong they were in numbers, and, and he tries to get an edge on the people so that they wouldn't, the Israelites, so they wouldn't conquer the Moabite people. And he does so through um, divination or essentially magic. Um, and so he tires uh, essentially a guy who was apparently seen in the surrounding community as very powerful when it comes to this form of magic. Um, and so uh, this is what the book of Numbers tells us um, that's happening while the Israelites are indulging in themselves. If we back up a few chapters. It tells us what the king of the Moabite people were doing. So, uh, so Balak, son of Zippor, who was the king of, the, uh, king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor near the Euphrates River in his native land. And Balak, Balak said... He said, a people, the Israelites, had come out of Egypt and they cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. And I don't like it. So you, buddy, come over here and put a curse on these people because I've heard it said that they, because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then, perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whomever you bless is blessed. Whomever you curse is cursed. In other words, you're a powerful guy. And I think that you could help me defeat this entire nation. Now, at this point, Israel, and really throughout this entire story, Israel is totally unaware that this is even happening. And therefore, they can't do anything to stop it. So, what does the nation of Israelite do? Or the Israelite nation do? They just keep doing their thing in the desert. But what is God doing? God's working on their behalf. Does the nation of Israel deserve God's help to stop Balaam from cursing them? Probably not. Shouldn't God just wait for them to experience the curse and then say, well, I told you also, I told you if you don't listen to me and you betray my trust and my covenant, then bad things are going to happen, but you didn't. And so now you're going to, you know, be cursed and all that. No, does God do any, should God have stepped in? Probably not, but does God? Yeah, God steps in because God promised to bless the nation. Here's what we need to learn about going through the desert, especially in the moments when, when we don't feel maybe like God is there and that you know, God should have stopped something from happening that was unexpected that happened to us, or you know, God, if he loves us, should help us out of our own messes. I think what we need to take away from this is that God is faithful even when the Israelites were faithless. And that sometimes for us, God can be faithful even when we are faithless. And God has a conversation with Balaam. 
It's pretty crazy. Israelites have no idea what's going on. God has a conversation with Balaam, and here's what he says to Balaam. God said to Balaam, do not go with them. Do not go with the king. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. Balaam, hearing from God, is like Yahweh, the God of the nation of Israel, is like, well, I'm not going to stand up to this guy. I mean, he's obviously, you know, in charge, big God, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go. So he goes to King Balak and he says, I can't go. And then King Balak comes back and says, well, then I'm going to give you more money. And he says, no. And then he comes back and says, please, please, please. He literally like begs Balaam to curse them. And so there's like this chapters and chapters back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Okay. And God gets involved and tries to stop Balaam and all this stuff. Okay. Eventually, Balaam goes. And eventually, after a few chapters of this, he reaches the top of the hill that surrounds the camp of the, the, the Israelite camp. And King Balak is so desperate for Balaam to get underway cursing the nation of Israel. He even helps. The king helps set up the altars and gets the sacrifice ready. In other words, he's not being a king now. He is just straight up desperate for this to happen. But here's what happens next, which is very interesting. When Balaam looked out and saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe, the Spirit of God came on him and he spoke his message. And the next series of verses is not a curse. It's far from a curse. It is a profound blessing. And you can read it on your own. We don't have time to read it today because it's, it's kind of lengthy. But, but you can go to Numbers chapter 24 and read the blessing that God gives to Balaam to speak over the nation, even though Balaam's there to curse them. And and. And God through Balaam says that Israel will be abundant. That the nation of Israel will be exalted among other nations. And in the case of Israel's enemies, like the Moabite king, who's literally standing right there next to Balaam saying these words, that the nation of Israel will devour hostile nations, not just win against them, devour them. And the nation, he ends the whole blessing with the statement, and they will be blessed. To which King Balak is like incredulous, <laughs> so angry, Numbers chapter 24 says, because he's gone through all this work. He's moments away from gaining the upper hand against the nation of Israel. And Israel, instead of, you know, it would have been fine if like nothing happens, but instead of, you know, bad, bad happening to Israelite or just nothing happened to the Israelites, in fact, they end up blessed by the end of the story. The point being, the point that I hope you would consider taking away from this is just because you can't see God working doesn't mean he isn't. Just because things aren't how you want them doesn't mean God isn't with you, working for you. Yes, you're in the desert. Yes, you're lost. Yes, there's sand in your shoes and sand in your hair, and it's not fun, but it doesn't mean that God isn't faithful. I think it's interesting that we are so quick to associate discomfort and struggle and work and sacrifice as bad, when it could be the process that God is getting you to the place where you need to be. That, that there is an opportunity, even in the desert, to learn and grow. 
even when the whole reason you're in the desert is your own fault. I can't help but wonder if Israel would have made the same decisions about you know, fraternizing, indulging themselves with the Moabites if they knew what was going on between God, the king of Moab, and Balaam. I wonder if, if they would have been more likely to trust God had they known that that was going on. But that's kind of the point of trust, isn't it? It's kind of the point of faith, trusting in something you cannot see. You don't know what's going to happen, but you show up faithfully anyways. You behave faithfully anyways. What if we lived like that? Instead of living like the Israelites, we lived as, as though God was working on our behalf, even though we couldn't see it. God, in fact, may be blessing us, even though we couldn't see it. As a kid, I stood watching and waiting for my parents after school, even if they weren't there. Why? Because I trusted their word. Even if they had been running late or, or something else had going on, you know, I just, I'm like, I'm going to stand here. Why? Because I trust that my parents will be here eventually. I can't see that. I don't know that. We didn't have cell phones at the time, so I couldn't get a hold of them. And so you just trusted that they would be there. Maybe in the wilderness of life, or honestly, all times of life, we could do the same. We could trust him instead of trusting things that help us fill the voids, the, fill the voids that deserts create, or fill the voids that our mistakes have created, our missteps, or sins have created. That we would stop trying to find the easy way out and, and trust you know, the, the short-term comforts of the world around us, Instead, trust the long-term comfort that God's planning to bring us. That could be a whole new direction for some of us. That could be a whole new direction in the desert for some of us. Why not? Why not just trust God to work for your good? And let's be fair, not all the Israelites did, right? The ones who were out indulging themselves, they didn't get God's blessing. They got Left out, actually. But I want you to pay attention. Because this, this is an important lesson here. God, God gives you, gives me, and gave the Israelites free will. In other words, he can bless you all he wants. But if you don't trust him and live a life, instead live a life opposed to him and away from his blessings... Those blessings are going to be hard to come by. And he's not going to get in the way of that. Because he gives you free will to make your choice. And I'm not saying that good things can't happen. And that you can't wander your way out of the desert. It's totally possible. I'm just asking, why not trust God to work for your good? And I get being skeptical about God working, you know, tr trust is hard. It's hard to trust an invisible God. But I just got to think if there's a God that works behind the scenes for your good, even when you can't see it, you don't even see the benefits of it because the whole situation happens beyond your capacity to understand it, that that may be something worth wrestling with. You remember from the beginning 
Why do I told you so moments happen? It's because someone could see what you couldn't. It's because someone could see what you couldn't, and I think God can see what you can't. I think God can see what you can't. Why not then pray to your heavenly Father, God, not my will, but yours. Not my will, God, but yours, because you can see what I can't. And I want to trust your sight, your will, more than my own. Hey, God, I want to do this thing, you know. But God, what, what do you want? God, I'm about to indulge myself in this thing, this activity, whatever it is. God, is that what you want? Listen, if you don't want to ask God permission to do something because you know it's not right, then you probably shouldn't do it. I would go so far as to say a lot of times, you don't even have to hear back from God, just simply your reluctance to ask God about it is signal enough that you probably shouldn't do it. If it's uncomfortable to ask God for permission for, then it may not be the best idea. May not. Just as it was when you were growing up. If, if you, um, you know, knew you probably shouldn't ask permission from your teacher or your uh, parents to do something because they were going to tell you no, then there was probably a reason for that. Probably was an I told you so moment. But think about this. If the nation of Israel had sat there and simply together collectively prayed and said, God, not my will, not our will, but yours, I don't think they would have been outside the promised land at this point. Do you? Of course not, because God didn't want them outside the promised land, and he wanted them inside the promised land. That was the whole point. And just from personal experience, I'll just be honest with you. The journey through the wilderness is not fun. It's not comfortable. And we like comfort as Americans. But God will get you out. By moving you personally through it, personally, emotionally, and spiritually forward to the point, I think, and if you talk to people of, of just strong faith and challenge, in fact, you need to be here um, on the I think it's March 28th, the last Sunday of this month, the last Sunday of this particular series. Series, You need to be here for that Sunday to hear uh, an individual who had to go, uh, who, who got COVID and spent 40 or 59, 58 rather, days on a ventilator. And uh, they honestly didn't expect this individual to make it. And uh, after talking to... <laughs> People Magazine, being on Good Morning America, they were kind enough to sit down because I know them um, and have a conversation with me about it. And, and we're going to see that on the last Sunday of this month. Um, but, but what a testimony of not my will, God, but yours. And a testimony of moving through the challenge and leaving the wilderness, the desert, more faith-filled and mature than when you went in. Another thing on top of the prayer and, and, and realizing that sometimes the deserts mature you is, is who's around you. 
Because who you surround yourself with in life makes the deserts easier or a whole lot harder. Who you surround yourself with in life may keep you out of the desert or will bring you into the desert. Moses, who was leading the nation still at this point, had his father-in-law. We read that in the book of Exodus. He, invi- he asked God to give him other people to help lead the nation. So there were leaders of the tribes of Israel to help him. Moses was wise enough to try to surround himself by the right people to help make the right decisions. Just a kind of a leadership tip, tip for you. Learn from the people who are where you want to be. Learn from the people who are where you want to be. Because it forces you to decide, where do you want to be? And honestly, I think a lot of us, we don't even know where we want to be five years from now. But once you define that as a whole lot easier to find people who will help you navigate life and the hardships of it better and will help you miss those landmines where then you have to look at yourself or others are going to look at you and say, I told you so. Why? Because they lived it, they know it, and they can help you navigate it. My friends, life is challenging enough as it is. Deserts are hard enough as they are. Why not find direction by focusing on who will get you through that desert? And I'm just letting you know, God can see what you can't. And I think it's worth starting to trust him or at least wrestling with the concept that it is worthy to trust your father in heaven. If you would, bow your head and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the Israelite story, that this story wasn't whitewashed like so many historical texts of the past to make someone seem better than they are, to, to you know, kind of cover up the mistakes that people made. But instead, Lord, that this is a story that's honest. This is a story where the Israelites, the author of, of the book of Numbers said, this is what happened. And we're going to be honest about it. And it wasn't our brightest moment. And we're going to be honest with it so that people, maybe people that are live 3,000 years from now can read what happened to us and can live a life different than that. Lord, thank you for, through your grace, preserving these texts so that we can read it and learn from it yet today. Lord, help us as we move forward in our lives to wrestle with Or in fact, to trust that you know and can see what we can't. And you don't want to have to sit there and say, I told you so. No good parent wants to sit there and say, I told you so. They want to prevent that pitfall, that landmine, that shortcoming altogether, that mistake, that sin. A good parent wants you to avoid it altogether. And so, Lord, help us to trust you as our good Father in heaven to move forward in trust and faith in you, especially when we're tempted to look astray, especially in the stress and anxiety of the deserts of life. Help us to find your will for our life, what our future could be and should be. To envision that, Lord, to know that and to find people that are where we want to be and to learn from them, to humble ourselves, humble our hearts before them, learn from them, ask questions, be curious and grow because ultimately that glorifies you. 
No matter what season of life or what age of life we're at, Lord, there is no better time than right now to begin that process of honoring and trusting you. Lord, we thank you and we ask for your help and power in that process. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. A couple discussion questions.